You know, there's a people group that should be the most excited on the earth. It's us. There really needs to be an uprising in our spirit. You know, when you fall in love, grab a seat. I don't know about you, but when I fell in love with Danielle, I told everybody. I couldn't wait to tell everybody about this gorgeous blonde that walked into the rock in 97 and captivated my eyes. It was 99. (laughs) I saw it before it happened. I'm a man that looks into the future and believes. (laughs) She wasn't even in New Zealand. How good is that? But I got on the phone and I started telling everyone about this girl that I'd met that I hadn't even met yet that I'd seen. (laughs) And that's what happens when you fall in love. And it's been like that for me with Christ since 97. It was Christ that I met. Man, if there's a praising people on the planet, it's to be us. And I get excited when I watch a football game. I get excited when I watch cricket. We're not going to go there. Get on your Ben Stokes. <laughs> but we praise in things, don't we? We get excited about things. And out of our innermost being is to come a hallelujah, a roar. And really, that's what that song is about, isn't it? I raise a hallelujah. But it's not just when I'm in the presence of my enemies, it's every day. Because he's that good, that every day is an opportunity, every second of the day is an opportunity for praise to be released. The Bible says that we are to come into his presence with praise and thanksgiving. And I hope you, hope you have something worthy of thanking him for. It's hard to thank someone for something if you don't know what you're thanking them for. And we've been looking at love without works is worthless. And I want to continue on that. So this is part three of what we started sort of five or six weeks ago. And, and, you know, Sam has been speaking to it on a slightly different angle, but it's the same stuff. Because Peter couldn't let go of himself. He couldn't actually disown himself, and neither can you. And so you need someone greater to come into you to release you from you. So you don't get entangled that it works that are worthless. You know, what's really funny is so often you go on mission trips and the whole focus is what we're going to do, but you never really realize that God's going to do something in you. And that's the purpose of going. It's actually not to do anything. It's to get done. It's to be undone. And that's what happens every single trip. People actually get undone. And what becomes secondary is serving the people of Cambodia. Even though that's cool, and we do that, and we've seen some cool things, and we served and did different things, the real purpose is actually your own transformation. And that's what you heard from three people, is actually what God is doing, because one, you can't run away. (laughs) Two, you're on this thing called an aeroplane where you're stuck, and you can't run away from me. (laughs) <laughs> and you have to listen to me, even if you don't like it. Even in the teaching, you're stuck there because it's really unpolite to walk out. 
<laughs> and you've got to model something to then. So you're stuck in this room for about eight hours. I love it. I get eight hours to go. <laughs> and that's what happens, eh, Cass? It's like, <laughs> what is that? That's just the reality that sits here that's God for us. And this is who he's really called us to be. And so uh, if you think about coming, be warned. <laughs> It'll be about being undone before it's about doing anything. All right, well, um, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 3. I'm just going to read this real quick because I know it's been read, but if you're new here, this will give you context to what we're looking at. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 3. Just before that, actually, 12 was all about gifts. And Paul is describing to the church about gifts, and he gives this leadership gift functional order, apostle one, prophet two, teacher third, and he goes through. And then it says this in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 31, but earnestly desire the greater gifts. But then it says this, and I show you a still more excellent way. So the gifts are awesome, and we need the gifts. That's why we're talking about the gifts Sunday night. I encourage you to come out and have a listen. Because if you don't know the gifts and the gift on you, how can you be built and how can you be used to being built? Because we're a body, we're not an individual. And so he's saying the gifts are cool, but I'm going to talk about a more excellent way. Have you ever asked yourself why love is the greatest? And what was the answer you came up with? Why is love the greatest out of faith and hope and everything that's contained? Why is love greater than a miracle? Why is love greater than prophecy? Why is love greater than reaching the lost? Why is love the greatest? Have you actually taken the time and asked and got revelation from the Spirit? Not your own understanding. Have you had the Holy Spirit, who's your teacher, teach you why love is the greatest? Do you know there is so much behind that question that you and I need to know? Why is the greatest commandment love? What is the context of the entire Scriptures? Why is it love? Yep, Jesus, and Jesus is love. Why is it love? What is the actual context that the Scriptures are written in and towards? You see, this is painting a picture of something. So if we don't know the picture, if we don't know the end goal, if we don't know the context to which every word is written, how on earth can we live in accordance to it? You won't. You'll live into the context of what you think this is about. So if you think this is all about signs and wonders, guess what your priority will be? If you think this is about reaching the lost, what will your priority be? If you think this is about prophecy, what will your priority be? If you think this is all about your ministry, what will your priority be? But if you know why this is about love and the context of this, what will your priority be? This is what I was teaching in Cambodia. Mess them up completely. Turn them upside down. No, put them the right way up. Like what God is doing here. Scripture by scripture, I haven't even done it here. I took them through a painting, scripture by scripture, piece by piece of why love is the greatest. But I have, we have been speaking about it here for 10 years. There's two books written about it. Well, there's actually one major book. <laughs> and so why does he say love is the more excellent way and why is love the greatest and why is it that 
works are good, but if you just do works without love, three attributes of doing works without love are what? What are the three attributes that 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 3 gives you? If you do works without knowing love, what are the three attributes? He just gave it away. <laughs> Everyone was like, You're a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Anybody want to be that? Do you know you can be that while you preach the gospel, prophesy? raise the dead, do all those things. You can just be a gong, but you think you're not, but you can be. You can be a stumbling block like Peter was because you think. It's dangerous when you and I think from our mind, not his. Okay, We are nothing, we profit nothing. If I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions to the feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. See, when you live from I... It's a complete waste of time. Have you come to that place yet of having I ripped out of you so you're not a noisy gong or profit you nothing or everything you're doing is a waste of time but you don't think it is because you haven't yet had I ripped out of you because I looks for reward and satisfaction and accomplishment through performance of what it does for God, not who it is in God. That's why I must be ripped from you so you actually come to know who you are. So like you just heard, being a son has nothing to do with doing first and everything to be being and becoming someone in Christ. See, our identity is in Christ full stop. So if you don't know Christ, you don't know who you are. Knowing about Christ is not knowing Christ. So you can still live and be I. But what about I? The rich young ruler said, Lord, how do I inherit? This is very, very powerful and very offensive to your flesh and my flesh. The flesh has no appetite for what it can't do. The flesh only has an appetite for what it can do. Do you realize that? Peter had no appetite for praying in the garden. What he had an appetite for was chopping off ears and protecting Jesus. But he was not asked to chop off ears and protect Jesus, was he? He was asked to pray. You see, man doesn't have an appetite for what he can't do. But man needs to develop an appetite for what he can't do. And only then will you come into the life that Jesus promises you when you develop an appetite for what you can't do so God can show you what he can do. And here's what's scary. You can, with a gifting that's irrevocable, cast out demons, prophesy. You can actually do works for God. And some of those works can be ordained from God. And then you can still deny God. Figure that one out. 
God can get, get you laying hands on people, going to Cambodia, doing that under his anointing and his authority, Luke 2, sorry, Luke 9, 2 to 6. And then you can still hear this. You don't know what spirit you're of. You don't know. You have no idea, even though you've just done miracles, what spirit you are operating of right now. Called the spirit of pride. Flesh. Your demonic, fallen human nature. I didn't come, James and John, the leadership team, to burn people, I came to save people. So why are you trying to torch people when things don't go the way you expected them to go? You do not know. Jesus knew something they didn't know. He knew the operating system of James and John and they didn't. Do you know yours yet? Because they are manifesting what is in them and Jesus rebukes them for actually something that wasn't of him. Do you know you and I can do works either out of our own gifting and ability, meaning what he's given us and it not be of him, and you can do works in a gifting that are of him. You have to decide which one is what through your relationship with him. And that's the key. Because you can do works that are anointed and powered by him like they did and still here, you still haven't yet had the root of pride ripped from you. What spirit are you of? You don't know. I know what it is and I rebuke you for it. For it. Lucky he's loving us, eh? This is the beautiful thing. See, you need to know and I need to know our true state in Christ because they didn't. Otherwise, your true state will continue to manifest. When you actually see your true state, you break and find repentance. He comes, rips out that root, puts the root of love in you, and guess what? Now your behavior is in alignment to love, no longer pride. Yeah. This is a deep work, man. This is way more than turning up, singing some songs, putting some money in a bucket, going overseas and life staying the same. That's not what Jesus said this was all about. Following me had nothing to do with this. It had everything to do with allowing him to rip you out, put you in and then send you on your way in a family. Following him is way, way more than just what happens on a Sunday, what happens on a Wednesday at a prayer meeting. Follow me means you can't come. Did Jesus, did Peter follow him? Did he leave everything and follow him? What do you reckon? Did Peter leave everything and follow Jesus? He said he did. So he left everything physically. What didn't he leave behind? Hey, himself. He came along for the journey. But Lord, I left my work. Mm -hmm. I left my family. Mm -hmm. I left my possessions. Mm -hmm. Then why can't you deny me if you left everything? Because you, Peter, came along with you. He didn't leave everything. He just thought he did. And then when the pressure comes on and the test and the truth stands in front and says, we're going to test this, what couldn't he do? disown and deny himself and he loved his life that he couldn't lose it where are you at with that you see unless you've 
transition, there's a good chance we're going to be doing works that are worthless. Or we may do works that aren't worthless, they have value, but you need to know which one. But more importantly that, you need to come into a realm within you to change you so you know without a shadow of a doubt everything that's coming forth from you is Him. And we're going to look at something because come with me to Luke 24. Luke 24, verse 1. And we're still going to park the bus here. I bought these glasses in Cambodia so I can see you and you be clear and read and it be clear. The other glasses I have are reading glasses and I thought, well, I can't be bothered. On, off, on, off, on, off. So I'm still getting used to them. So if you see me do this, because you're a little bit blurry and I'm just readjusting so I can see who's who. And if I do this, it's because I can't see what I'm reading. (laughs) Here we go, Luke 24 verse 1. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices, this is the woman, which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. Now here's a point. Works for Jesus don't produce a love and the life of Jesus within us. Works for Jesus do not produce the love of Jesus or the life of Jesus within us. Only the Word of God does that through revelation. Now, what I want to look at here is how when you're unaware of a reality, what you do can be worthless. And the reason why you're unaware is because you can't hear what was being spoken before. Is that cool? So this is how important hearing is. So I hope you can hear me because if you can't hear, you can be busy doing stuff that's completely a waste of time. And this is what these women have been doing. See, they turn up and they've been preparing, but there's no dead guy. (laughs) Let's go back to the start. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. They had been up the night before preparing what they were going to bring. So, I don't know, how much do spices cost? Money. And it wouldn't have been cheap stuff, would it? Because they're preparing their Lord. Okay, so they've been up all night, which means resource. Money, time, their energy, their process, their thinking, what they've been consumed with. They are doing this work with good intention. Great, good intention. The only problem is the guy's not there. 
But what a waste of time, energy, resource, and money. What of a waste of work this is. Can you see why without love, works are worthless? That could have gone somewhere else maybe, but they don't know because we're going to look, they couldn't hear about something that he already said was going to happen. Are you hearing what Jesus is saying to you? Not today, the entire time you've been at the rock. Are you actually hearing a reality or is it still waiting to catch up with you? So your life isn't changing in comparison to what's being said because you can't hear it. So you're preparing stuff and doing stuff which is a complete waste of time possibly from what he's actually saying you should be doing. But because your identity, purpose, sense of accomplishment is tied in that, guess what? You can't let go of it. Because you might not know who you are if you let go of works. I've worked with people like that. They actually do everything they do because they don't know who they are. And if you ask people to stop doing works, what happens? How much of your love is defined through love or through works? You see, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 8, 3, God knows that lo- those that love him. He actually knows those that love him. Not those that say they love him, but those that actually love him. You can think you love him and not love him the way he intends you to love him. Do you know that? Are you, have you been made aware of that? That just because we say we love him doesn't mean we do. Now, it may mean you do, but your life will reflect that. There will be a visible demonstration of your love for him through change and transformation, correct? It says, if you abide in me, your life will reflect it, which means to abide in Christ means you're not abiding in yourself anymore. You've let go of you, so you have the fruit of his life in you. So your life is very different to the way it was when you started this journey with Christ. That's how you know you're in Christ. If there's no change, we're not in Christ. Christ is in us, but we're not in him. So we can do all these works and they can be a waste of time. Now, once again, there may be works he speaks to you about, good, fill your boots, but that's not. That's always the second position. The first position is your inner heart and mind transformation. So you are being made ready for when he returns. These women couldn't hear much like the disciples couldn't hear, pretty much everything was Jesus was saying in the Gospels. Even when Jesus pulled them aside and explained everything to them in simple terms, he still in the next breath said to them, are you still not hearing me? Do you still not understand? Why do you think leaven of a Pharisee is talking about bread? How long do I have to be with you, disciples? When are we going to start becoming a disciple, not just a crowd follower? They are very different positions. A crowd mentality is not a disciple mentality. A turning up in a physical environment is not necessarily the sign of a disciple. It could just be a crowd And Jesus addressed the crowd because he saw the heart of a crowd in Luke 14. And he turned and said, if you want to follow me, here's the standard. And the flesh went, see ya. 
And the Spirit goes, Amen. So these women have prepared spices and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Verse 2. But they entered, when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus while they were perplexed about this. So they come with much expectation. They've got a massive expectation and anticipation that they're going to find his body, don't they? They've been working all night long, preparing, and they turn up, and he's not there. And they are amazed, and they're perplexed. Should they have been? Why are they? What about us? So you've got to put yourself in all these stories. You can't go, silly woman. I would have heard. Well, are you hearing what he's saying? It's the same word. Are you preparing? It's the same life. Are you coming into it? They are completely caught out. And they are perplexed because they had an expectation, but they had a wrong outcome. And wrong expectations lead to wrong outcomes. Wrong outcomes lead to frustration, disappointment, disillusionment, give up. That's how we get hurt. It's through our own, most of the time, false expectations that we carry of God. We think God is like this and he's going to do this. And when he doesn't do what we think he is, which he's never going to do because it wasn't him, we then get hurt. We carry hurt. Because where are you getting your knowledge from? So you carry the right expectation, which carries the right outcome, which means then you're in the right life. Can you see why... We are not to think from our carnal mind and we are to think by having the mind of Christ. Well, how do you get the mind of Christ? Through the revelation of the word of God, not through man and not through your own understanding. For he says, do not lean on your own understanding, but on mine. Because remember the spirit you are of? <clears throat> Why would Jesus not entrust his heart to man? Luke, John 2, 24, 25. Because he knew what was in man. What was in man that he would not entrust? Flesh. He's not going to entrust himself to man because he knows what's in all of us. Who did he entrust his heart to? Who are you entrusting your heart to? Don't entrust your heart to man. Do you know what is in you and everyone else? This thing called flesh. And when flesh doesn't get what it wants, what does it do? It's out of there, Jack. Or it actually tries to take you out because flesh and spirit are in opposition. So Jesus didn't entrust himself to man full stop because he knows man's in process. If he did, what would have happened to him? Do you reckon he would have gone on the cross for us? You're 12, man. They are so not getting it. And then they betray you and deny you. And then they're trying to do everything you've taught them not to do. Not a lot of life in that unless you are love. Unless you are love and no love, lust cannot hang around in that situation. What's the point? See, when the outcome is wrong because the expectation is wrong, it leads to frustration. And these women have a wrong outcome because they've got a wrong expectation 
because they are unaware of what was said. Think about this in the context of works. Works without love are worthless. You're expecting a result that's never coming because he's never ordered it, possibly. Okay? They did not find the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? Why do we continue to look for life in dead things? Why do we? Why do we keep trying to come into life through ourselves? Dead things. Why do we look for purpose and meaning in people and in other relationships and other things and in work and in money? Why do we keep looking in areas that are dead for resurrected life? Why are they looking in a dead tomb for a guy that said he wouldn't be there? Unbelief because they couldn't hear him when he said it, along like all the other guys that were walking with him. I did a study, I'm doing a study on this. You know how many times he said he was going to arisen from Matthew 16 to the end of Matthew? Seven times. There is the context for I'm going to rise, I'm going to rise, I'm going to rise, I'm going to rise. It's not like he said it once, he said it over and over and over and over and over. Why? So they could maybe hear it. Do you understand why the word of God has to be spoken all the time, the same thing, until the church hears it? Because until you actually hear it and start changing, you haven't heard a thing. Until you become the word and demonstrate it, you haven't heard it. And this is the greatest deception in the body of Christ, to think that it hears it in the mind and it's heard it when it doesn't, haven't heard it at all. Hasn't even heard it once, but it thinks it has. So like Jesus, the word has to go out over, 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 until at least one person hears it. Then all the angels celebrate. We go, well, we're getting somewhere. Woo-hoo-hoo. Can you see why love is patient, love is kind, love is gentle, love bears all things, love endures all things? Because until we get it, if he's not love, we're all in trouble. And we must be in love so we can be him to others. Because you realize, well, I wasn't hearing it either, but now I am. So now I don't run away, I actually run to and help everybody else. It's called getting in discipleship. And to walk with people so they can actually come into what is being spoken because you've heard it, now you say it. Now you've got 300 people saying the same thing, singing from the same hymn book. It's called being one of mind, one spirit, one of purpose, and it makes Paul's joy complete. There's a few words in that, wasn't there? This is what happened in Cambodia, see? <laughs> it's like. So, why do you seek the living one among the dead? Who knew where he was? The angelic realm, the spirit realm. Those that are alive in the spirit knew exactly he wouldn't be there. Why is it that the demonic knew who he was and his disciples didn't? Why is it that the greatest opposition to Jesus knew exactly who he was and responded to who he was in an appropriate manner, and yet the ones who were walking with him never did until they get their eyes opened? You are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. Don't come to torment us. Bow down. 
Well, that's the position of every follower, isn't it? In repentance. Because we're in awe and wonder of the one that we know is standing in front of us. But then he comes and says, don't be afraid. Get up. And let's walk together. You see, the angelic realm know all things that's written. These two angels knew. Wasn't it the angelic realm that came and said, hey, you're going to have a baby. So they know. You see, the realm and the spirit know. But if we're temporal, if we live in the temporal, if we are carnal, if we are not being renewed in our minds and our hearts to what is, it'll all be passing us by. And it can be spoken and it can be declared and you can be right there in front of it, but it keeps passing you by. Because you don't recognise God sending bus after bus after bus after bus, but because it doesn't come the way you recognise it, because it's the wrong colour, it's the wrong number, I don't know, it's only got two wheels or something, oh, here you go, that's not my one, that's not my one, that's not my one. Everyone on the bus is going, hey, you should be on this one, hey, you should be on this one, hey, you should be on this one. And this is what's sort of happening here. So they've been working all night, working up a sweat, turn up, they can't figure out why, they're perplexed. These two guys stand up, they're angels, they know what's going on, and the women bowed down, they were terrified and bowed down, faces to the ground. The men said to them, why do you seek the living one among the dead? I hope we are not seeking the life of Christ in works. I hope we are not trying to come into love through works, but through relationship, through revelation of the word Jesus himself. Hear me, works that are ordained, empowered, led and inspired by the Holy Spirit, yes. Good intention, no. Because I don't know who I am. So I do something to keep myself at rest. Do you know it's a false rest? If you can't be still without doing works, you're not in rest. So what you do is you create works for a false sense of peace. So you actually don't manifest and in your mind worry, be anxious about many things. You see, the challenge for the church, the challenge for every human being is we are born entirely functional with the root of self, which is function. We only know how to do. We don't know how to be. And the only way you know how to be is when you get revelation of a person called Jesus Christ, full stop, period. That's when you actually know how to be still. And then you know he is God. You see, the knowing of God enables you to be still. You are being still because you know God. But if you can't hear the word of God, which creates faith, and faith is a knowledge of what is in the unseen and receive it, then you're never going to be in faith or actually be able to be still and be at rest even though it's being communicated all the time because it's a substance which is spiritual that we all need ears spirit ears to hear so he is not here surprise surprise he is not here but he has risen Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee. Did he? What did he say? 
Did he speak to us? Mm-hmm. Someone even recorded it. After the event. Why is it like in this situation, it, it's always after the event? Come down with me to verse 8. After he has spoken, they have spoken the word, verse 8, and they remembered his words. Why is it always after the event that we remember his words? Because you can't hear when it's spoken. Why were the disciples always late? Go to Galilee. Where'd they gone? Fishing. Why were they downcast? Why were they always behind the eight ball? Why was Martha doing works that Jesus never ordered? Can you see the pattern in the scriptures and the absolute essentialness of being able to hear the word of God when it is being declared to you through the power of the Spirit, not through understanding it and trying to hear it in your human brain. That is anti-Christ. So he says in verse 7, how are you spoken in the Galilee? Saying that the Son of Man, remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. The reason why he's not in the tomb, ladies, is because he said he wouldn't be here. Because he's going to rise again. Oh. oh, well, let's go. And cool, let's get to where he is. But works without love are worthless. You see, you can miss and go, oh, well, at least they got there. Yeah, that's cool. But what about all the time wasted, spent energy, resource and stuff that he's never ordered? How much of our lives are spent doing things, living things, being in things that he has not said? And you'll know because you want the corresponding life, don't we? Don't we want the eternal life? Okay, let's go to Matthew. Matthew 18. I'm going to fly reading this, which is about the rich young ruler. Remember my statement, man must develop an appetite for what he can't do. Uh, where am I? That's not the right scripture, Greg. Is it Luke? It's Luke 18. 18. Sorry, I said Matthew, didn't I? I've written down Luke. I'm still getting used to these glasses. <laughs> yeah, it's Luke. <laughs> We're going to look at this because this is pertinent to many in the body of Christ. A ruler questioned him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This is a question I get asked all the time. 
how do I, 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 tell me the steps, Greg, to life, die. (laughs) Surrender, submit, get on your knees and start praying for revelation. That's not it. No, no, no. Tell me how I get into eternal life. Die. Submit. Surrender. Get on your knees. Start asking, praying for revelation through repentance. That guy's known nothing. Actually, here's a book that tells me how to do it all. I'll follow that. You found some of those books? Give you the plan. Give you the methodology, how you do it. How are you going? How's the inner life? Found eternal life yet through the methodology way? (laughs) No, because it doesn't work. But we keep pumping it out and we keep believing it and we keep refusing the way. See, the way is a person. His name is Jesus. He's called the door. And if you try to get into life around the door, guess what? You're a thief. You're called a false teacher. You're not Satan, you're a false teacher teaching a wrong way and you're leading a wrong way because you don't know the way. Mmm, that turns it up a little bit knowing it's not Satan, eh? So the one who comes to steal, kill and destroy is not Satan. It is a false teacher. Now they are operating from false wisdom which is from the demonic realm. Go do some study. So yes, they are operating from a demonic realm. They are not Satan, but their flesh, which is demonic, is what is teaching the people. You don't know what spirit you are of, guys. You get this right, you get that wrong. So you better start getting it right because you're supposed to be representing me because you're ambassadors from heaven representing me. But I don't torch people and I don't lead people the wrong way to my father. I lead them into the right way So then they get the outcome, which is mine, but people don't like the right way. In the crushing, in the pressing, you're going to make new wine. Oh, sod that. There must be another way than me falling upon the rock. There must be. Well, I'm telling you there isn't. And you can believe what you believe. And like the woman, they couldn't hear, so they were found out. And the rich young ruler is asking questions that are completely the wrong questions. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? He calls them good teacher. He doesn't even know the reality of Jesus and who Jesus was. He said, I'm not good. Why do you call me good? There's nobody here that's good apart from my father. So Jesus is instructing him on a realm he doesn't even know is. Are you hearing this? He's coming with a completely different mindset to Christ. In Mark, it says he ran up to Jesus. So he's so excited with much expectation, much anticipation of the life he's going to get. And the first question out of his mouth is from the kingdom of darkness. What do I do to inherit eternal life? Good teacher, Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. He has zero concept of his reality, but it's coming out of him. You see, you will manifest what is in you. Who is in you? Said this before, if I squeeze a disciple of Christ, who is to come out? 
Christ. Because you're a disciple who's on a process of inner transformation, are we not? Of having Christ's life formed in you. So if you're having Christ's life formed in you through revelation, not proclamation, not memorization of scripture, revelation of his word, then when you get squeezed, test to see if you're in the faith, in Christ, Christ will come forth. This is the evidence of being a disciple because you want to become like the teacher. And so he's got zero concept of this, and yet he has done some good works, hasn't he? He's kept some laws. He's kept some rules. He says, and Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not be a false witness, honour your father and mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. I can keep laws. I can give money. I can do things. What I can't do is disown itself. What I can't do is love others the way God intends them to love others. But I can do a lot of things. And this man is still trying to come into life through I. And Jesus is about to teach him the truth. So what an opportunity he finds himself in here. He comes running up to Jesus. He then says, Lord, good teacher, show me. How do I come into... Jesus is going, what an amazing opportunity this is, is to actually preach my truth to someone who knows none of it. Even though he has done certain things in his own strength, he's still missing the mark completely. See, if you're in a relationship with Jesus for works, you are focused on behaviour, rules, guidelines, rights and wrongs, making sure you do the right thing, not the wrong thing. You're consumed and you always want to know because you're so uncomfortable in the mystery of it being unknown. But when you're in a relationship with Christ for love, you're comfortable in the mystery because you know in the relationship, he shows you and defines all those things. It's risky, man. It's scary, but it's the only way. He becomes the guideline. He becomes the rule. He becomes the boundary. He becomes the source of life. But it's so much easier asking for do's and don'ts, right and wrongs, because that's safe and I stay in my flesh. And I can control that. Can you hear that? I can control, and so the works I do will be worthless because I am doing them. He admires the effort doesn't get you anywhere. So he says to the rich young ruler, when Jesus heard this, do you know you can discern where people are at through hearing? Because it comes out of them. Can you see God or hear God? See, we, we hear God, don't we? We're to hear God. Can you hear him today? Can you see him? Hear what I'm saying? It's all a hearing thing. It's a hearing. It's the ability to discern and hear the word that's not him or hear the word that is him. Man speaks a lot of words. 
Can you hear whether it is him or man? Do you believe him or man? This is really important because it depends on the life you're going to be in or not. So he's going, he hears him, he says to him, one thing you still lack. The one thing will keep you out of the all. And yet a minuscule revelation called a mustard seed of God will transform you. A mustard seed of revelation can revolutionize you. And yet one thing can keep you out of. But I do this, 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 this. He goes, yeah. But it's just all I doing works for I. And it can look painted up as for him. And Jesus is identifying this in this young man's life. I wonder if he's identifying it in us. Sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he had heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, the things that are impossible with people are possible with God. Do you have a hunger and a thirst for what you can't do? You need to get one. And you need to get it now. Because it's, prevent, it's preventing you from life. You see, while we have a hunger and thirst for what we can do, then it's possible with us. But it needs to be impossible with us, impossible with him. By that way, he proves himself to you. And all of a sudden, you now come into a life in you and through you that you're going, oh my goodness, how does this even work? Through submission and surrender, which is what he's saying to the young boy. But the young man here takes off because he doesn't like the answer he got. He didn't like the answer he got. Why? Because he came with the wrong expectation. Because he came with the wrong mindset. Because he thought he was going to define how he came into life. And when he got the answer that he didn't like, he says, I'm out of here. But it was the right answer to bring him into life. And not just any life, an eternal life, because that's what he asked for. How do I inherit eternal life? Not eternity, an eternal life now, because it's now. How do I get your life in me, Lord? How do I get joy, peace, freedom, rest, love, Patience, kindness, gentleness. How do I get that in here? Oh, actually, it's got nothing to do with your wealth, but the wealth of your spirit. Rich people can enter the kingdom of God. I know people who are wealthy who are in the kingdom of God. It has nothing to do with wealth, physical wealth, everything to do with wealth of spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the humble. I give grace to the humble. I'm opposed to the proud like he was who resisted the way. But Jesus loved him. Jesus wanted him, but he chose to reject, deny, and walk away. Why? Because he was proud in spirit. Do you know what spirit you are of? Has the Holy Spirit revealed it in you and to you so he can work with you on that while he loves you, covers you, and builds you? 
So you only ever manifest Christ in every situation, speak representing your Father well. I don't want to represent God, do you? I don't want a world or a church to look at me and go, that guy calls himself a Christian. Look what he's doing. Look what he says. Look how he thinks. Look how he treats people. I do not want to misrepresent the one who saved and died for me and loves me with his life. I want to represent him to the best Christ in me can so I enter into a process. There is love covering while I'm being perfected, but I want to know I'm on the journey of this transformational life and coming into an eternal life. And this is what he's saying here, but unless I develop an appetite for what I can't do, I'll just live on what I can do and I'll be satisfied with that. But the prerequisite for following Jesus is denying myself and not loving my life. And I cannot do that. I will do that. I can't choose to disown me. No different than I can choose to deny me. Self is too great. It is too strong. It may work for a little bit depending on what you're asked. Oh, I can give $10 here. I can give $10 there. I can do this. But what about the day when it comes when actually something's bigger than that and it tests and you're found out and it comes out? See, it's like with these guys. It was fine for a while, but then when they don't get what they want because their expectation is not what they thought, self, pride, erupted. And they were actually going to try and kill people. Hopefully no one's done that yet. I heard that preach once. Isn't it amazing they knew their authority? How cool is they knew their authority? Oh, I read that Jesus rebuked them. I didn't see Jesus celebrating, hey guys, it's good that you know who you are. And you know what's really funny? Is that one of them is the guy that wrote the one that Jesus loves five times. Was that love coming out of the one that loves Jesus? No. It's easy to write stuff, easy to say stuff, different than to live it entirely, isn't it? And so we must be found in this place of humility. Brokenness, what I mean by that is the spirit of pride being broken, left, and then allow his word through hearing to build you. Why? So you're not found doing works he's never asked, wasting time, energy, resource, running the wrong way, but completely in an alignment to him and his way as an individual, as a body, so we as a whole, as individuals, as a body, are receiving all that there is in him. Full stop. Father, I thank you, and I thank you, Lord, that you love us, you cover us, and you are speaking clearly about expectations that you have for us because you died that we would become and be and live as the people that have been predestined to. Before the foundation of the earth, you marked us for this time to know you, to know your purpose, your will, your plan, to know who we are in you, and to come into all that you have prepared for those who love you. 
I thank you, Father, that you teach us the truth, that you take the time to show and reveal in us and to us our state. And Lord, I pray today that as you do that more, we would only see positive. We would only see life for there is no loss in you. Thank you for Cass's testimony that said as she's in this process, Lord, it's love and she knows it's love. She knows it's, it's you going to work. It's not wrong. It's not a loss. There's no fear. There's all positive and all faith because you are building a strong people on the inside, Lord, who live and love like the sun. So I ask you to bless that in Jesus' name. Amen. Any questions, uh, thing you want to talk about, feel free to come right now. We can chat, email me, gregatherock.org.nz. Love to dialogue. Our cafe is open. <laughs>